Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Michael Morrison, a professional footballer, play centre-half, play for Cambridge United, Leicester City, Sheffield Wednesday, Charlton Athletic, Birmingham City, and now currently at Reading. Michael, you made 640 appearances in your career and started out in non-league. Tell us how it got going for you at Cambridge United. Um, well, I, I suppose the the opportunity I got in the first team was was from Rob Newman, and um, the club actually got relegated um, from League Two into into the National League. It was the football conference then, um, and I, and the fact that we had six players uh, in the first team that were signed on to the football club in in the July gave me the opportunity to train with the first team, to be in and around the first team a lot probably earlier than I would have done if they were in the football league. Um, so I made my debut in the October of that season. I think there was an influx of about twenty players that that came in um, that they managed to get together really because it was a bit of a team of misfits put together. Um, but, you know, I, I got that opportunity to play and I think lots of young players often get opportunities through the clubs not doing so well, through injuries. Um, and in my case, it was obviously a relegation. Um, but I really enjoyed that that experience of being involved at Cambridge. I'd been a, a kid there. I'd been the, the ball boy. I'd done my YT there, um, you know, the old the old uh, scholarship programme. Um so I really enjoyed it and playing men's football at 17 was probably the bedrock of my career, giving me that stability that first time to, to see that. And and I learned an awful lot. I had some really good experienced players next to me, Mark Albrighton, Mark Peters, you know, these guys that had been about for a long time and they really, really helped me. Was it important? To, uh, you mentioned, obviously, it's pretty much doing a, a live apprenticeship, essentially. So was it important for you to be in a physical league as a centre-half coming through? Yeah, I think so. I think um, when you look at the game, it's changed now. But certainly when I was coming through, that centre half of head it, kick it, um, being being hard to beat and a defender first, you know, it has slightly changed with, with you know, goal kicks coming inside the box and playing one-twos with goalkeepers. Mm. And stuff. Now it has changed. But at that time, it was it was critical to get that that experience of, of playing Ultram away, York away, you know, them, them tough games that, that you play at that league and then physical players you play against. I certainly think it's helped me and it's still helped me now. And it, it keeps you grounded. Um, and, you know, I always look back at that time with, with real enjoyment as well. So obviously you then made the jump to League One with Leicester City. How did you handle the step up in leagues? Because, I mean, we, the, a, a very famous example is Jamie Vardy. Uh, it took him a while to get going, but, you know, you won promotion in your first season. Yeah, I think I was very lucky. My, my deal got done quite early on so I had a whole pre-season there um, which made me feel familiar with everybody um, there was a few young lads that were involved in, in the team as well that got on with really well Andy King at the time you see he went on to have a, an extraordinary career at Leicester 
uh, Matty Fryer, who was the main goal scorer. They were two people that I was really friendly with straight away and they helped me feel feel really settled into the team. And um, Steve Howard and Matt Oakley were senior players that, that helped support me as well. And the team was so good. You know, it was a championship team at least. Um, so it helped playing within that team. Um, you know, the, the attributes that it had. We went and won games. The team sort of sit off you a little bit um, because of, of the threat that we carried. You know, Tom Cleverley was in that team again, another young player at the time. So we were a really good team. So that really helped helped me as a centre half, um, not having to do too much defending. <laughs> but um, but I think that having the preseason there it really did help me feel comfortable in the in the surroundings because it it was a massive step up. Um, certainly the professionalism from from going at Cambridge United to to Leicester was was huge. Did it help having someone like Nigel Pearson there? Because obviously he was very much of the old school defender mould. I think what helped with Nigel there, he had a clear organisation in the way that he wanted to play. There was real clarity in what what he wanted us to do. Um, And that makes it so much easier for defenders where where he wanted us, what the expectation of us was as defenders made it much easier. And I always found Nigel really personable. Um, I still speak to him every now and then. Um, He's actually on a course that I was on and you know, he, he can look quite uh, intimidating. And when I was, you know, 2021, 20, he, he definitely was. But there's another side to him that a lot of people don't see. And people that have worked with him will, will say that, you know, he really cares about players and he, he helps you get the best out of yourself. How much pressure was on the uh, was on the players to get promoted? Obviously, we've seen big clubs fall into League One and stay there, the likes of Forest, Leeds, Southampton. They've all struggled to get out. So how much pressure? Because you mentioned there was quite a lot of young players there and experienced ones. Was the pressure there? Did you feel it? Yeah, I think as a young player from moving to Cambridge to Leicester, I was just excited to be part of what was happening at Leicester City. Uh, you know, obviously they got relegated and you're kind of oblivious to that that kind of pressure as a young player. But I do remember the first preseason game we played against Hinkley and at half time, you know, you normally play two different teams and my team was coming on in the second half. In the first half, they were one nil down. And I remember there being booing from, from the fans and I was, you know, it's a preseason game, what's, <laughs> what's happening? But that was some of the ill feeling between... Mm-hmm fans in the football club at the time because it got relegated um and to be fair Milan Mandrek you know he got Nigel in and, and they got themselves organized and, and then he sold it and they've obviously pushed on but you know as a young player sometimes you don't realize all that external stuff that's going on mm-hmm. um certainly I didn't when I first arrived at Leicester and I didn't feel that expectation probably some of the other players did that had suffered that relegation or was slightly older I was just in a in a mindset of like what a great opportunity to be at Leicester City such a big club I couldn't believe leave my luck I wanted to to make the most of it but I think as the season went on you could tell that there was a definite factor of like well, right we need to get promoted here like this needs this needs to happen and and obviously it did and we we won it at Canton and like I say the team was was far too good for that level. Did that carry on into the next season because obviously what was surprising was Leicester's first season back in the championship after promotion finishing the playoffs which is is quite an achievement for a team just coming out of league one to go in back well, and compete in the playoffs. Yeah, we had a goal scorer in Matty Fryer, so that always helps. You need that if you're going to get into into the playoffs. And and they signed Paul Gallagher and uh, Richie Wellens, who made a, a massive difference to the team. And and it the team evolved and carried on pushing forward. It had momentum from from the League One year where we finished as champions. Um, and then we carried on progressing. And like I said, we brought a couple of extra players in, and they really made the difference. And you know, my beginning of my Leicester career, I thought oh, this is easy. You know, we're going to go on and. <laughs> do things all the time. This happens all the time. You know, I haven't been in the playoffs for another 10 years since. So, uh, 
you, as a young player, you think, oh, this is this is how football works, and you know you soon find out it doesn't. But uh, then first two years, we're you know really on a high, and there's real momentum at the football club, and it, it's great to be part of that when you just go into every game thinking that you're going to win it. What was it like going out of the playoffs? Because it was the acrimonious penalty from Jan Kermigan, the the Penenkin. Obviously, you played with Kermigan at Charlton, so I have plenty of experience with him. What was it like going out like that? What was the players' reaction? Yeah, Martin Wackle missed a penalty as well that day and mm. I was really close to him and I remember consoling him after the game because there was a big pitch invasion trying to get him in the tunnel and there wasn't a lot said after the game. Everybody knew what had happened and was and was disappointed in, in their own right and I think, I suppose, as a young player, you think that might come again and, and it doesn't always come again but we had people like, you know, Steve Howard and Matt Oakley where it was probably their last shot for the Premier League at that point. So it was disappointing to go out like that and you know, Jan had a very successful time at, at Leicester and um, and he came in at Charlton and, and was, he was like another player when I played with him at Charlton. He was complete chalk and cheese um, and, you know, he was magnificent for, for Charlton and then went on to Bournemouth to play in the Premier League. But at Leicester, I suppose it was the first time he'd moved over to, to England and it took him a while to to um, to get into the flow of things and break into that team because Matty Fry and Steve Howard were, were the go-to guys because they were scoring and, he was unfortunately missed the penalty and that was the end of his, his Leicester career there. And and to be fair to him, it shows real willpower and, and strength of character to come back and, and do what he did in, in England again, not only at, at Charlton, at Bournemouth and at Reading. How big, because obviously Nigel Pearson left after that playoff campaign, how big a blow was, was Nigel Pearson leaving? Because Paolo Sosa came in and the philosophy seemed to change and then obviously he left. So there's a bit of sort of uncertainty going into the season. Yeah, I think as a personal point of view, it, it was really difficult for me and it coincided with my poor poor form at that time. And, you know, Nigel was probably the only, that he was the only manager I'd had in a professional environment, you know, in, in League One and in the championship. And I, I found it difficult under Paolo Sosa, who's gone on to be a tremendous manager. I saw him the other day on the touchline for Poland. So he obviously knows what he was doing. But at, at that time, I, I found it difficult as a young player, um, the changes within the structure of the team. Um, changed and and what was asked of you as as a centre half was slightly different and I struggled personally and and being a centre half if and I was playing at that point you know if your centre half struggling then you're going to be conceding goals and we had a poor start and Sven come in um, and then again there was a lot of change there a lot of players came in and they sort of threw a bit of money at it um, and it didn't really work um, and then Nigel came back and sorted it all out. You then moved to Sheffield Wednesday in League One was it disappointing to have to drop down a league to sort of get back to playing first team football was was that the opportunity for you or the, or the motivation to go and play football um I saw it as a similar opportunity or a similar size uh adventure as what Leicester was to me when I first went there you know league one they were playoffs maybe even in the automatic positions where, when I first went there um and I thought right we'll get promoted and, and I'll be in the championship again but within you know six months um, Alan Irvine was the manager at the time and I spoke to him and he spoke really highly of the football club and it's a really really big club Sheffield Wednesday um, and you don't realise sometimes until you're there and you're in front of the fans and the stadiums you know going mad or uh, when I was there it was very uh, when I say going mad they were they weren't very happy because <laughs> in the end performances didn't match up to, to expectations um, mine included um, and it was a tough time again that year was really tough for me, but I think that was the making of me at Sheffield Wednesday. That that tough time really, you know, got my focus back on on making sure the next time I had an opportunity, which was at Charlton, that, that I really took it. Um, so I wouldn't wish that 
that time away uh, it probably made me a stronger person um, and showed me a different side of football. You know, I signed three and a half year contract uh, and by the April I was on my way to training. I had a phone call from the secretary saying there's no need to come in. Uh, Gary Mason, who was the manager by then, doesn't need you um, and you can find another club. So, you know, football quickly changes. Obviously, you mentioned, you know, it changed quickly for you at Wednesday. You arrived in January and by the summer you were at Charlton. Obviously, you mentioned Gary Magson not 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 necessarily wanting you, but going in a different direction. Um, but it proved to be a success for you at Charlton. You won the title in your first season. You were named in PFA Team of the Season. How much of a joy was it to play in that team? Because obviously you played with a former, former player or former teammate in Chris Powell. Yeah, I think it was really important. I had somebody that was the manager that trust me. And and just to touch back on Gary, you know, he went another way and he had he brought in Danny Bat and and Jones from from Doncaster and he got them promoted. So, you know, I don't look back at that and say, you know, have any ill feelings towards Gary. Mm-hmm. He did a, a brilliant job at Sheffield Wednesday and I was, you know, one of the guys that he moved on. Um and it worked really well for me as well. And I was really pleased to to play under Chris. He was somebody I knew that trusted me. Um, and that I trusted as well. We had confidence, mutual confidence in each other. Um, it was a really good squad that we put together. I still speak to a lot of them, them lads. Uh, even today, some of them are retired, like Simon Church and, and Royce Wiggins through injury, and some are still playing, like Ben Hamer and Johnny Jackson's part of the coaching staff there now. So I still speak to a lot of them, and it was a fantastic team. A lot of them went on to do some really good stuff and play in the Premier League, like Dale Stevens, Ben Hamer, Jan Kermigan, um, Bradley Wright Phillips you know tore up the MLS um so it's it, it was a fantastic team and it was a really really good spirit and it was so enjoyable and I really got to enjoy my football again and and that showed in in my performances as well so quite similar to Leicester City really where you carried on the momentum of that title winning season I think Charlton set the league one points record actually um and obviously in, in your first season in championship it was a top half finish in the first season was that a surprise considering the resources of teams <clears> around you you know there was Forest, Bolton they just missed out on the playoffs I think you, only three points off the players yourselves yeah we put a really good run together towards the end of the season and, and we had some really good players so I, I don't think it surprises too much and you've seen a few times that momentum bring you forward a little bit and we had such good good atmosphere around the place and it was really disappointing uh, in the following summer that we didn't recruit and go again. Um, as a player, I always thought that that was a missed opportunity. Um, the money had sort of dried up and they wanted to sell the club um, and they didn't sell it that summer. Um, but there was a real opportunity to, for us to build on on that team uh, and we didn't and, and it sort of fell apart a little bit. And obviously with the ownership with uh, Roland Duchette, um, didn't really work out and I think that that was a real good real uh, time where Charlton could have pushed on and, and really cement themselves into playoffs the following year and, and it was a real missed opportunity and I still speak to a few of the lads and we all we all agree on that. Obviously you mentioned the, the change of ownership but it didn't come in the summer you know looking at the squad list I think it was the 13-14 season it's huge how important is stability for a team and obviously once you get that stability recruiting to progress essentially? Yeah, I think once you get that that core of the team um, that we had at, at Charlton, we probably needed an extra striker. Um, we didn't get Simon Church or Marvin Sordell until right, I think, a week before the season started. And it was quite clear that we needed a striker at that time. And you want to have a nice core basis of, of your squad and then add that little bit of quality or that extra maverick to, to take you, take you, you know, when it's 80 minutes and it's nil-nil, you get somebody that can come on the pitch and change the game for you. And we probably didn't have that... Um, 
in the second season and players left and it made it really difficult. But, you know, if you can have stability and start moving forward and, you know, everybody argues for time now, which seems to be a, <laughs> a doesn't seem to be there, but it, it does take time to, to move clubs forward and, and um, they're big organisations, big businesses and to move them forward, it does take time to change everybody's mentality, especially, you know, when we first went into League One, you get into the championship, right, you want to stay in the championship, you just miss out on the playoffs, right, you want to get in the playoffs and the expectation slightly lifts every time and unfortunately, with the expectation, you need to keep increasing the player quality on the pitch as well and we didn't get that opportunity at Charlton. Obviously, Chris Powell left that season. How much of a blow was it losing him? It seemed like he a bit of a victim of his own success for the previous season. Obviously, that failure to to build on the squad as well. Just how much of a blow was it losing Chris Powell? Yeah, I, I think it was inevitable when uh, Roland took over as the owner of the football club. I think it was inevitable that that Chris was going to leave. There was lots of in that January we needed some reinforcements, and there was lots of players that came from from Belgium and and the other clubs. And I think Roland had underestimated how good the championship was. Um, so we had six or seven players come in at that weren't up to the level, to be honest. And I know Chris was under pressure to, to play them um, and they weren't ready. I weren't ready. I remember Ben Hamer being on the bench for, for some of the games when, you know, he was quite rightly the number one at the football club. Um, mm. So it was a real difficult position to Chris and, and um, you know, he always dealt with it as well as he could. But I think it was inevitable that, that they were going to make a change. Um, and Jose Riga came in and, to be honest, I was really pleasantly surprised with him. Um, he was really tactical, really thoughtful, knew what, knew what he wanted. Um, unfortunately, it was, you know, I think the players that had been brought in and that he had to play weren't up to the standard. And, and then he went to Blackpool and had a had a tough gig there. As well. It wasn't one that was set up for him to do very well. So um, he was probably not picked the jobs too well. No, yeah, I forget about that Blackpool season, which uh, I think is a testament of what can happen if you don't uh, plan ahead. Um yeah, just, just touching on Jose Riga, it was a bit of an unknown and, and obviously he had a, a squad to contend with. I think firstly uh, on Jose Riga, what was it like under him? Because he said results you know, re- results picked up and he said he tactically was quite quite sound. It seemed like Charlton could possibly get going under him and obviously things happened behind the scenes that didn't, didn't really help that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why You know, he was in there for that short period of time probably six, maybe not even six months, uh, the back end of that season. Um, Diego Poyet came into the side and he made a real difference. He was a real talent at the time and I was really impressed with him. wasn't surprised that he went on to West Ham. I was probably more surprised that he hasn't made as many Premier League appearances and he's still not somebody that gets talked about, at least in the Championship now. Hmm. Um, but Jose got us organised very well and, and he had a tough task of marrying up all these foreign players that had come in and were new to to the country and new to the type of football and using the players that were already there whilst managing upwards. Um, and that proved to be difficult, hence the reason why he didn't get the job in the summer. Um, and, and at that point, I signed a, a two-year contract with without a manager in place. And uh, that was soon to soon to change once uh, once the new manager came in and I was gone by the September. So t- t- touching on the, the recruitment policy, as a, as, a, as a player, and obviously I think at this point, a seasoned pro in, in sort of professional football in England how how much of a a struggle is it getting these you know foreign players integrated because a lot a lot of a lot a lot of players come in I, I imagine it upsets a bit of a, a balance in the side you currently have it can can be quite difficult to progress yeah I, I suppose when you see uh you know I moved from Birmingham to, to to Reading and that was a big uplift for my family and moving home and it's two hours away so when you're talking about young lads that yeah. are 18 coming from a different country probably don't speak some of the language 
trying to come to and play in the championship, it, it's really, really difficult. Um, and, and to expect them to perform when everything else is going in off the pitch, I think clubs need to look at how they can facilitate and help and have a, you know, that development, that care for the, for, for the, for the young lad that's come, especially when they're young and it's the first time. I think, you know, if you're investing in, you know, millions that we're talking about, then a small amount of that needs to be invested internally on, on what you have to help support them. Um, and certainly in the championship, the clubs I've been, there's an opportunity missed there where I think they clubs can probably do more to help people settle in. Um, and that development care is is probably be- a lot better in the Premier League and that will filter down to the Championship eventually. Um, but it's difficult and, and new players c- can upset, but they can also uplift uplift the team. You know, if you can go and get somebody that's going to come in and score goals and and add to competition, um, there's a, that then becomes a vital part of the team. It can lift it can lift teams and, and you see that in the January window and, you know, players come in and, and take the team and push them that extra little bit further, whether that's normally a striker or a winger, it can often make the difference. So you, you touched on signing a new deal uh, in the summer of 2014, but the following season you, you, you left, you joined Birmingham City. What was the reason for for leaving? Was it a case of the club wanting to move you along just to get the wages free or you know, was it personal, personal for you? Um, well, the manager, new manager had come in um, and he he brought in Tel Ben Ahim and Andre BK, um, which I thought was short-sighted. You know, I thought I'd been a good servant to the football club. Was a lot younger than these guys. Had played in the championship. Was was capable at that level. And he, he brought them two in. And then there was Joe Gomez as well breaking through. Um, so he was trying to make room for him. And I'd been vice captain. So you know, once he decided that you know I'm going to go with these two centre halves and and I'm not going to use you as much. Me sitting on the bench. Then becomes a problem, you know, not not because I'm a bad lad or anything, but because, you know, somebody that's been quite important to the team. If the team loses, he, you know, sort of go, why is he not playing, and and you know, why is that not happening? And it was pretty clear that I wasn't going to get used as often as I wanted. I stayed until the September, tried to break into his team, gave myself two or three months, um, but was told that I could I could leave by the football club on on the deadline day. They'd actually called me about going over to to Hungary, which I wasn't interested in. Um, and then I was lucky that the window was still open. Uh, it was different at the time where you could, where clubs could still do loan, loan deals. So, um, Birmingham City came in, um, and it was a bit at the time, uh, you know, it was off. I wanted to go and play football. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Quite an interesting time joining Birmingham City because I believe it was quite short, well, shortly after that 8-0 home drubbing to Bournemouth as when Gary Rout was in charge. What was it like going in under him firstly and obviously coming into a team that I was clearly confidence was rock bottom? Yeah, they'd lost 8-0 to Bournemouth on, on the Saturday and we were playing on Friday night, I think it was against, uh, it was definitely against Wolves and um, 
Gary had taken the job, taken the job Monday or the Tuesday. I arrived 24 hours before, I trained, and then we and then we played. Um, so there wasn't much time to to worry about what the team was doing. It was quite a quick. Are you interested? Let's get it sorted. Let's get it done. Let's get this loan move ready for ready for that Friday. And um, I'd never personally met Gary before either. Um, so it was one of them. I wanted to go and play football. Birmingham's a really big club. Um, and you couldn't do any worse at the time. Yeah, I think we'd both come in there. Gary had come in as manager as well. I can't do any worse. And I'd come in as a player going, well, I can't do any worse. Um, so it was a bit of a, a clean slate for the both of us going in there. Um, and it, you know, we started, it was a fantastic run when he first got the job. And I, I was really pleased to be part of that. And it really made me feel at home straight away. I lived in Leicester and we'd often travelled over to Birmingham to go shopping or to go out and stuff. So it really felt, I felt quite comfortable straight away within the surroundings of the city. Um, I've still got home there in Solihull and I just felt comfortable straight away there and it, it just clipped and it was a really exciting time or really enjoyable time as a player to be involved in it. Um, we quickly got out of it. I remember the Tuesday night at home to Watford, Clayton Donaldson scoring and, and St Andrews going crazy. It was such a good atmosphere and it, I really felt at home straight away. Just touching on the, the dressing room, especially after you know, you're coming in, you're fresh, you said it was a clean slate for, for everyone. What was the dressing room like coming into coming into that after that? What, what a really bad performance against Bournemouth. I think there was just a bit of relief with the new manager coming in. I think everybody was ready for for some change, um, and Gary was quite clear in what he wanted. Everybody knew the expectations, and they'd actually recruited quite well. There were some really good players there um, that they'd recruited in the summer: David Cottrell, Clayton Donaldson, Stephen Gleeson. Um, Jonathan Grounds, who, who went on to play nearly uh, over 150 games for the club, so they'd, they'd really recruited really well on a on a real low budget for for the level. And um, when you look at the likes of other clubs had spent, so there was some good players there. Andrew Shinney um, was was um, was really good for the year when um, Gary came in, um, and I think everybody just clicked. They wanted to do well. It was a really good atmosphere around the place. It didn't feel um, like a bottom of the league team. I think it. I think Gary coming in really refreshed everybody. You're talking about it being, you know, a really sort of vibrant place. Um, and there seemed to be real stability under under Gary Rowett. And it did at, at one point look like they were they were going to compete for for playoff places. But strangely, he gets sacked uh, the following season, despite the club seeing three points off the playoffs. What impact does that have on you as a player? Well, I think it's really it was really disappointing because I saw that that opportunity with the January window coming up. Um, similar to how it was at Charlton, if you know, back back the manager, put a little bit more in, get a little bit more quality, and we can see where we can take it. And that was certainly what we were thinking as players. If we can get to January, get a few reinforcements, um, and then see where see where we can go from there. And and they decided to to change it. And you know, it was quite a big change three quarter, well, quarter of the way through the season. You know, where there isn't too much time to train as a, and change the the way you're going to play. Um, and then January we had new recruits come in that, that didn't really click or it's always difficult halfway through the season to come to a club um, and that didn't work. So I think the fact that a lot of people still talk about, you know, that time where Gary got the sack shows the demise of, of what's actually happened at, at Birmingham. So obviously Zola, Gianfranco Zola came in. What went wrong under him? Because obviously the, the club was in a good place in terms of on the pitch, but it, it just seemed to to be a disaster under, under a manager who had a fairly good record at championship level with Watford. Yeah, I, it was a real difficult one. I think um, we recruited 
probably the recruitment wasn't right. Uh, it changed the structure of the club financially in terms of some of the signings and, and the wage budget in comparison to what people were, were on before. Um, so that was one of the issues that, that he probably had within the football club. Um, uh, I, I don't think he's, you know, normally if I would have expected maybe somebody else on the, on his staff to be, to have been English, there was definitely a, there was a bit of a friction between his staff and some of the players. Um, and also I don't think he probably could have controlled that, you know, what he wanted a little bit more. I don't think there was a, as good a communication on the style of play that he wanted. It, it differed from game to game. And I think he, in the end, he, he kind of, I think he struggled to to know exactly what he wanted from the team because he tried to do one thing, it didn't work, tried another and it just got a little bit messy. There wasn't a clarity in message and and to be fair to the club, they gave him as long as they could and, uh, you know, I for one was probably pleased that they that, that made the change at the time that they did and Harry come in and and over the three games that he had, you know, rega- uh, you know galvanised everybody and, and we managed to stay up. Um but it was a really tough time for for a lot of the players. Um, I'm, I wasn't around the training ground as as much as I like. I had a hernia operation um, and some real bad complications with that. So for two two of the months that that Gianfranco was there, I wasn't even in, into the training ground. I was in bed, so uh, that was a real difficult time for me personally as well. How much of a difference did Harry Redknapp make? Because he came in with some like three games to go, and it was it really was touching goers to have not Birmingham City would stay up. Yeah, I mean, we lost the first one. He came in. I didn't play in that one. I still wasn't fit, um, and I played the last two. Um, but I think he he came in, and it was just somebody that you looked at. And you think oh, I can trust this guy. Uh, he knows that he's been there and he's done that. Um, he brought Steve Cottrell in with him as well, who, who knows the league very well, um, and they they complemented each other really well. Um, and it was a bit disappointing actually that Steve didn't stay on as as Harry's assistant because um, I think the two of them together were were really good. Apart, not so good. Um, but um, yeah, I think he just come in and there was an instant trust on, on what we were going to do. We started using Lucas Djukovic and Shea Adams was just pot, just starting to, to come together as a player. And um, obviously he went on to to do brilliant the, the following season seasons and, mm. and Southampton now. So um, he came in and utilised what we had and give everybody confidence. Obviously, the, the next few years, right up until the current season, really, it's felt like Birmingham City have, have been battling pretty much sustaining in championship. And there's one season where there was a, a lot of, sort of low mid-table finish, apart from the points deduction. But from a player's perspective, you know, why is that the case? Is it a lack of long-term planning from the from the ownership, from the board, or is it just a case of players not being good enough? Because, as I say, on paper, the teams always seem good enough. Yeah, I think um, there was another chance with Gary Monk. Uh, felt a little bit like Gary Gary Rowett, like there was an uplift in the football club. There's a real connection between the fans and, and the team and what was being put on the pitch in terms of effort. And, and you know, they really enjoyed watching his team. You know, Lukas Djukovic and Shea Adams up front were, were brilliant under under Gary and we really utilised the, the strength of the team. Um, but I'm, And then obviously I think when teams don't go, you know, it hasn't hasn't worked out. Some of that has to be down to, to some of the recruitment. Um, I think it's really important that you have the right people within the football club even if you give it the right structure you need to have the the, the quality uh within it um and i think lee bowie is a really really good appointment and i hope that he gets to have an opportunity in the summer to to bring in the players that he feels he can use and that will benefit the team and keep it progressing um and to be fair to the owners you know you can't say they haven't put enough money into it because they certainly have you know that, that's the reason why we had 10 points deducted that spent so much money it's just 
unfortunately the money that they have spent you know it hasn't it hasn't worked the whoever's advice that they've taken whether it's agents or or people within the club it it, it really hasn't worked but I don't think it's for the want of trying they've certainly put their hands in their pockets and unfortunately that you know they've not spent uh, they've not got what they were looking for out of that money that's been spent uh, you then left Birmingham City after one of your best seasons there. You, know, you scored seven goals, which from a centre-off, I think everybody loves. Um, but you couldn't come to an agreement. Everyone wanted you to stay, but it, it didn't happen. How how frustrating was that? And were you surprised negotiations took so long? Uh, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I'd spoke to Gary Monk and he said, listen, do well for me this year and we'll look after you. I'd spoken to the CEO who said, you know, not to worry, we're going to look after you. Um, and then there was probably a red flag for me. We played Sheffield United with only a few games to go and they sort of said, the, you know, oh, we're looking to look after you, you know, we'll give you another year. Um, and I sort of, that was the first red red flag, I suppose, of thinking, okay, I'm 31 years, not really... You know, I just played over 40 games, scored seven goals. I'm looking for more than a year. We didn't get into that conversation, but just from him mentioning that, I thought, oh, this might be a little bit harder than what it was. Um, and then I had I had one one offer, which was a take it or leave it offer, um, which, you know, I felt I deserved a little bit more more than a take it or leave it after a year that I'd done and previously been at the club for so long. Um, so, yeah, it was a case of, of seeing what else was out there. Um and obviously, Reading Reading came up, and I'd spoken to Mark Bowen, and and felt like it was the right time to change. So obviously, as you say, you joined Reading. Were there other clubs interested? I imagine you know you said yourself you scored plenty of goals that season. You only missed three league games, and you were captain of a of a of a good side. I imagine you'd have you'd have been a popular choice for a lot of clubs. Yeah, I'd, I'd spoken to a couple of different managers. Uh, I'd spoken to two that you know I felt were, were going to happen. One of them didn't, and the other one didn't as well. So there was ones where you think you're going to get, uh, you know, you think you're going to sign. You're waiting for different bits, and there was a lot of lot of chat about some other teams. And when something's on the table, um, you know, and somebody shows real interest in you, I always think that that goes a long way rather mm-hmm. than okay, let's let's wait, let's see what this is. We've got this person, so it was one of them where. Once Reading showed that they were clearly interested, it was one where I thought, right, okay, they're the, they're the team for me, and I, I like what Mark had to say about the football club, and I have friends that have played there, like I said about Ben Hamer and Simon Church, who, who always talked really highly of Reading and the stadium and the facilities. Are, you know, new training ground is is so impressive. They spent you know sixty million pound on it. It's a real great place to go into every day, um, and I've really really enjoyed it. And this, you know, I, I haven't looked back one day and regretted the decision coming here. Obviously, you joined um, after a very good season at Birmingham City. You came to Reading. Were there were there ambitions of playoffs? Because what we see now is is a team that is is, is fully ready to to make that move into becoming a, a playoff side. I think when you look at when I looked at the team and and I spoke to people within football and you know we we started really slow under Jose Gomez and and I, people were saying you know what's going on? Look at the talent that you've got there in Yakumate. Um, John Swift, Ajaria at the time last season. And, you know, and the only reason why I can put my finger on that is because of the structure that the team was playing in and how they were playing. Um, because Mark come in and and when we talked earlier about slowly building the team, I think Mark put, you know, some real, real groundwork in ready for this season. And I think without Mark Bowen being there and and doing that hard graft of of slowly moving the club and the expectations up, Pano wouldn't have had the platform to to lift the football club and and energize it to where it is now um so he needs to take some some credit for that as well 
Um, but there's so much talent in that team um, and it's about getting the best out of it. And I think the the structure and the dynamics and the expectations and, and the conversations that Pauno's brought up with the whole team and, and how we've pushed on has been the reason why we've done so well this year. One of the the reasons for the slow start, and we we spoke to Mark Byrne on the podcast. He said it was it was down to the recruitment. It was it was quite slow. Players came through the door quite late. Was that one of the reasons as to why? You know, you mentioned the structure as well. Again, it comes down to recruitment, how important it is, and how how important it is to get it done early. Yeah, obviously we had Lucas Shaw that was injured last season uh, as well, and he came in quite late, and he scored a lot of goals and been pivotal this year. So you know, I listened to the podcast. I'm sure Mark would have liked him a lot fitter last season. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think some of that, some of it was to do with players coming in late and, and from you know foreign countries as well. So it always is a little bit harder to get up to speed and everybody wants a pre-season. And it was a real messy pre-season um for, for Reading at that point. I think they went away before I'd signed with maybe seven or eight professionals that were going to get in the team, and then a lot of them were kids. So it must have been so frustrating for the manager to not be able to stamp what he wanted on the team and and then to be into the season before you've started. So he will certainly ask for more time and you look what he's doing in Spain now. Um, I think he's third or fourth with Almira. He obviously knows um, what what it takes to be a good team if, if given the time and, and the players. Um, unfortunately, at Reading, I think it was the right time for the club to to change and, you know, it come about that Mark got the job. Um, quite, you know, you have to laugh about, about it. He got a little bit of stick in the in the press, but, um, you know, he did a really good job and, he, you know, he's more than qualified after... The experience of, of being in the Premier League um, under Steve, uh, under Steve Bruce and Mark Hughes, um, and he brought Eddie in as well, his assistant, who who's still at the club and is a real good football guy, who's really really knowledgeable, and I think they were a good pairing. So just touching on Mark Burns, obviously you said he got a bit of stick in the press, and I think we had a laugh about it on the on the podcast when it when it came about. Obviously he went from sporting director to the manager, so the joke was he he gave himself the job. What was the players' reaction? Did did you have the full story, or were were you as surprised as as we were? Um, I mean, he was truthful to us that the the chairman had basically told him that he wants wants him to take the job. Um, and you know, with the the Chinese owner and the way the football club structured, I don't think Mark had too much of a, a choice to, to turn it down, even if he didn't want the job. Um, so yeah, I think people were surprised, but I think people were happy. I think. Mark was a good football person and, and Eddie as well. And they knew what they wanted to do with the team and make us a little bit harder to beat and a little bit more structured. And I think we benefited from that. So, you know, straight away we went and beat we beat Preston. Um and when you win, everybody sort of you sort of buy into it a lot, a lot quicker. Um and there's some some good buy-in to, to what they wanted to do. And, you know, I thought he did a reasonable job and got us away from safety quite quickly. When you look at somebody like Huddersfield that changed manager, it took them a long time to get out of it. And this season, you know, Derby have changed manager and still looking over their shoulder. So it's not an easy job to to take a team that just because they're probably quality wise better to to re to change that and move them forward um, can take time. And, and Mark was able to to move us out of the relegation bit quite quite quickly. And actually, before the lockdown. Um, we weren't too far off the playoffs if we'd have put a good run together. You know, it didn't go that way, and then games ended up being a bit of bit monotonous for for everybody, including the players. Were you surprised to see Mark Byrne move on in the summer, just because of how how well he settled aside, how well he got the team going, or was it, or was it just the next step in the process for Reading? Um, I think it was a surprise. Well, yeah, definitely a surprise because as as a player, you you going into that game. We played Tottenham on the Tuesday. In the end, we ended up flying over to Portugal for two or three days. The manager that came in had to do his 
first game against Colchester, zoomed in on onto the TV because he was self-isolating. So it was it was a real surprise. I don't know whether it was planned by the football club or not. Um, but it certainly didn't give Pauno, if you were changing it, a lot of time to work with the team. So what he's done this season makes it even more special. You know, when you listen to managers, oh, I want a good preseason. And we talked about Gomez having a preseason and that making the difference. Um and, and Pano hasn't had that. He's been had to get his um team ready really, really quickly through meetings uh and making sure looking at not only looking at the opposition, but looking at how we structure ourselves as well. So, you know, it's incredibly difficult for him as a manager to come in and and the results at the beginning of the season uh are proof in the pudding. It was probably the correct decision. Um I've really enjoyed playing underneath him. Um really, really big student of the game, really personable, um not just wants to develop the player, wants to develop the person as well and and has really aligned the goals within the football club, within players. You know, there's lots of young players that want to go and achieve more and, and play in the Premier League and play for their country. And it's he's helped them realise by doing well with Reading and, and the team doing well that you can reach them goals as individuals as well. And I think that's one of the biggest, biggest things that was probably our weakness uh, last year. We had lots of individual quality and probably didn't play collectively well enough. Um, and this year we, we have really, everybody seemed to really buy into it and, you know, having Yaku out wide with Michael or Swifty in the middle and then being able to interchange and Ajari coming in has really helped each other. You know, they really complemented each other. And I think one of the, the best signings we've made and probably in the championship this season, Josh Laurent sitting in there with Andy Rinomota, that energy in midfield and that physicality has allowed players further up the pitch to, to interchange and express themselves a little bit more. So just touching on the current season, obviously at the time of recording, the season's not ju- not quite finished, but you've become playoff contenders. Almost, I wouldn't say a surprise because everyone sort of knows the talent you've got in the squad. It was just getting it playing. But how how much of a step up has it been? You know, how much how much pressure uh, has, has it has sort of come onto you as as a playoff contender essentially? Because it's completely different to being a mid table side. Yeah, I've absolutely loved it. It's been such a brilliant year. So exciting. You know, some of the football that we've played, some of the goals that we've scored, you know, it's been brilliant to play and it's brilliant to watch. And I think there's, it's a shame that we haven't had, uh, you know, fans in, in to, to watch us because we've had, you know, we've got the young lads like Tom McIntyre, Tom Holmes, who are, who are Reading fans. And that connection between the team and the fans could have been so much better than it is. And I think it's been good that they've been able to support these young lads uh, online and, and whatnot um, and see one of them doing it for them almost, you know, why they can't be there. Um, so that's been really, really good for the football club. And I think the academy has, has come through and really, really helped the football club. You know, Amar Richards coming in, Michael Elise coming through as well. And, you know, some real talented players that have played a lot, a lot of minutes for us. Um, so it's been really good for them to, to experience that. And off the back of them being being so young, they're so fearless. You know, they just expect this is, the, you know, probably their first real year in, in professional football constantly. Um, and, and you're fearless about it because you think that's going to be there every year. And, you know, whether it whether you're playing a bottom team you need to win or you're playing a top team you need to win, that they all want the ball and they all want to play. Um, and they all want to do well, irrespective of, well, I might do this wrong. The next time they get the ball, they'll do the same thing and it will come off. Um, so I'd probably say one of our biggest strengths is that they are fearless, that they are so young, that they want to play their game and they love playing, playing football and playing for Reading. Is that holding in good stead for the future? Because obviously, you know, if you do go on to win promotion, you've got 
good raw talent in there or you know if you do stay in the championship you've, there's talent there again to compete but they've got a year of experience yeah I think if if we didn't if we did miss out uh, on the playoffs this year and it didn't quite go away and, and we didn't get promoted I, I think that there's a real team young team to, to build from you know I'm sure we'll probably lose a couple of players um, like every good team will do but I still think there's a basis there of of goals and and structure that, that can carry us on and move us forward. When I look at what Brentford have done, they pushed on again this year. You know, Swansea have got towards the playoffs again this year. And, you know, I, d- I don't think that's a, you know, a flash in the pan. This will be one year for Reading. If, if we don't get up, we can build and be even stronger the next season. Just one final thing to, to ch- touch on before we finish. That goal against Bristol City. Now, I've seen centre halves do some some pretty pretty wild things, but that, that was the composure of, um, well, Lucas Jao would have been proud of it. Did you mean it? Well, when I was talking earlier and I was saying there's some brilliant goals, I was hoping you was going to mention <laughs> um, I've been waiting all my career to, to bomb forward and, and score a goal like that. I was just, I was just, I just got a lot of stick from the lads because I did a knee slide in the corner. They were like, who are you knee sliding to? And I was <laughs> like, well, you only score them once in your lifetime if you're a centre-half like me. So, uh, you know, I was thrilled to get that goal. And I always want to pop up with goals and score. And normally it's with my head or a toe poke in. So I was happy to probably get the best goal of my career. So if Lucas Schaal's out of form, injured, do you ever fancy yourself as a number nine? Yeah, uh, training on the <laughs> The best feeling, scoring goals is the best thing to do on the football pitch. You know, when you speak to kids or anyone, nobody wants to be centre-arse or, or you're a bit mad if you want to be a goalkeeper. It's normally you start up front and then you progressive, <laughs> progressively move down. So I've ended up as a centre-arse. Um, but like I say, I've always tried to pop up with goals and, and it's the best feeling. It's so good when you when you can help the team and score. Michael, it's been brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Thank you.